Good morning. We're glad you're here today. Hope you've had a great weekend so far and glad you're here to start a new week with us. Our ushers handed me a note. It's another week of us having over 500 people gathered together to worship, and so we're glad you're part of that. We appreciate you taking time to start a new week by worshiping God here with us at Great Oaks. We have visitors with us like we always do. Thank you for being here. We always like to tell our visitors we are not a perfect church, but we are trying to be what God wants us to be. We're trying to be simply Christians. We're trying to be undenominational. We're trying to simply follow the Bible. And if you have any questions about that, please let us know. We'd sure love for you to be part of our church family and serve with us here at Great Oaks. We have several new families to introduce as part of our church family. I'm going to introduce one of them this morning, uh, David and Jane DeMint. Would you stand just a second? Jane's not going to stand because her knee is hurting her, uh, but Ella, her granddaughter, will take her place standing this morning. So uh, this is David and Ella and, uh, and Jane sitting next to Ella. Uh, David and Jane have been worshiping with us for a while. They've been married for 37 years. Um, David is retired from a management position with Kroger. Jane is a full-time nurse, um, and they are very encouraging people. Uh, you guys can have a seat, and I'll say a couple more nice things about you. But uh, they've been here in Memphis a long time, and I can say this. I'm already encouraged by them being here. They're just talented, faithful Christian people. Uh, if you haven't got to meet them, please do that. I look forward to them being part of our church family for a long time. Some of you guys are hunters and fishers. Uh, David's right there with you on that stuff, so you need to talk to him about that. I think even yesterday, if I understood the text correctly, he was out hunting. Um, so we're glad you guys are here. Appreciate you being part of our church family. A few other things we're excited about before we jump into our lesson today. Uh, this is our 40 days of prayer. It's November, and these, the last few years we've made this a tradition to have 40 days of prayer that span from October into November. It all ends next week. Today is day 33 of our 40 days of prayer. If you haven't gotten to be part of this, jump in with us this last week. Make some time in your own prayer life, whether it's early in the morning, whether it's your lunch break, whether it's right before you go to bed, carve out time between you and God. We want this to be an encouragement to greater prayer. That's the big purpose of doing all of this. Uh, we have our prayer devos on the website. We also have booklets in the lobby. If you haven't grabbed those, we'd like to read through them. Those are meant to just encourage us. So grab those. They're, they're well done. We appreciate everybody that shared those. And next weekend, since it ends next week, next weekend is our grand finale, if you want to call it that, of our 40 days of prayer. And here's what we have going on. Starting this Friday night at four o'clock, we're going to have people here at the building praying for 24 straight hours through all the prayer requests. If you haven't turned in prayer requests, we would love for you to do that. We have forms out in the lobby you can fill out and drop in the box. There's a table right there in the middle of this back lobby. Uh, you also can go on our website and enter them online, and we'll print them out and have them ready for everybody. We'd love for you to enter prayer requests. We'd love for you to sign up for one hour to come up and pray. We're going to have guys watching the building for us during those 24 hours while we come up and pray for an hour. Uh, this is always a great event. And we hope you can be part of that in some way. We also have little prayer cards out there for you to give out to family or friends or neighbors. It's got the website on there if they want to go on there and enter a prayer request. Simply letting people know that, hey, we're praying this weekend as a church. We'd love to pray for you. Most people are happy to share thoughts that you can pray for them. And they appreciate that. So if you know some people you think would appreciate that, grab some of those cards and give them to them. And then on Sunday, we'll come in next Sunday. It's our last special Sunday of 2018. And we'll end our year of 40 days of prayer by having praying for Memphis Sunday. We're going to have special prayers for our community. 
for our outreach. We're going to talk about that and think about that as we worship together. And then we'll go in the back for a potluck lunch to bring hopefully a great end to 40 days of prayer. You're also going to see as you walk around the building some tables that go along with our Praying for Memphis Sunday. We have several service opportunities. You can bring in things to help different things, that, places that we're trying to reach out to here in our community and even outside of this community. Uh, we don't expect you to do all of them. You're going to see the list in the bulletin and think, wow, we're collecting a lot of stuff. You're going to see the tables and think, wow, we're collecting a lot of stuff. We don't expect anybody to do all of them, uh, but try to help out a little bit. And we can all pitch in together and maybe help some of these places that we're trying to encourage as a church family as we collect those things. So we're excited about all the things God allows us to do. Uh, we appreciate you being part of that. Let's have a prayer before we get going, and then we'll jump into our lesson. God, we are truly thankful for this church family. And we're thankful that in your plan, you set for your church to come together every first day of the week to think about bigger things and to worship you. God, I pray you work in all of our lives. We all have different challenges. We all have things that we want to do better at and be better at. We beg for your strength, and we pray that we'll more and more become shaped in the image of your Son. God, as we study today, we pray our lesson will be encouraging. pray it will challenge us the way you want us to be challenged by it. And we pray we can live for you better uh, from having worshipped you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have the outline, you see we are bringing back this month a verse for the month. You've had a couple months off. We've had a couple months off from this. We're doing some different things. But if you haven't been here, what we've done with this verse for the month, we say it together every Sunday. And then the last Sunday of the month, we try to take out some words and see if we can say the verse together. Try to write these verses of Scripture a little deeper on our hearts. So our verse for November, Philippians 4, verse 6. And I will read it first. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That sure fits what we've been trying to do these last few weeks. talks about prayer. We have Thanksgiving holiday coming up. It's a month of Thanksgiving. It's our Praying for Memphis month. So... We thought this would be a good verse to go with this. So why don't you, if you would, please say it out loud with me. We'll try to learn Philippians 4, verse 6 a little better through November. Let's read it together. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, we want to try to learn that these next few weeks. A great verse about prayer, about thanksgiving, about trying to not be anxious. Boy, that's hard in life too, isn't it? It says prayer is part of that. Uh, so we'll learn Philippians 4, verse 6. We've been studying through 2 Corinthians on our Sunday mornings. We have a few weeks left of that. And we're calling this series Transformation Through Trials. We've talked about God comforting us so we can comfort other people from chapter 1. We've talked about the sinner that was there in Corinth who had repented. And so Paul says, now you've got to forgive him. That last step of that repentance process. The church needs to forgive and extend love talked about that from chapters 2 and chapter 7. We talked about the glory of the new covenant compared to the old covenant. Some people were apparently teaching a return to the old covenant. Uh, and we saw that in chapter 3. And then if you're with us last week, we saw from the end of chapter 4 to those first 10 verses of chapter 5, a passage that some people say is one of the great expressions of the Christian perspective of how we're not looking at the seen. We're looking at the unseen. We're not looking at the temporal we're looking at the eternal, and hopefully that's becoming more and more a part of who we are. This morning's lesson is going to come from chapter 6. 
calling it Set Apart for God. Here's what I'd like us to do. I'm going to read through the whole passage. We want to get the big point first. Then we're going to notice two smaller points inside of that. And then we're going to ask ourselves some questions as to how we need to make this real in our lives. So I want us to read through the whole thing. I'll read it. We'll, we'll see the big point. We'll see two points inside of that. And then we'll ask ourselves some questions. Let me read through the whole passage first of all. You notice it ends chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, you probably know that later on we put the verses and chapters in the Bible. They weren't written out with verses and chapters. And sometimes they aren't divided quite like the thought is divided. Well, this one really ends at chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial was a, was a false god in the Bible. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore... Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's a challenging passage in a lot of ways. The main thought, this is a passage about Christian holiness. And you heard that in that last verse, chapter 7, verse 1. He says, let's, let's be perfecting holiness. Now, don't let that word perfecting scare you off. He's not saying that we're going to become perfect, but, but it's, like a, it's like someone trying to learn a craft. You try to perfect it. You try to get better at it. The word literally means to make it, make it happen, make it real. And so we're, we're making real Holiness in our lives. Now, what in the world is holiness? It's a church word. People think of it that way today. Uh, it's a Bible word, one I hope we're not ashamed of. It's not one we talk about, though, a lot outside of spiritual types of things. So what does it mean? The word literally means being set apart. If you're holy, you're set apart. You're, you're different. You, you have a special role or job. You might... Listen to kids sometimes, elementary school kids, and they might come home from school and tell you that the teacher let them be line leader today, or the teacher sent them to the office to go deliver a note, and they, they felt special, they felt trusted. This, this, was, this is a version of being set apart. All the kids are doing everything else. The class is doing other things, but here I'd like you to have a special role. Paul talked about it that way. He talked about his own life that way. He said, God had set me apart before I was even born. He had a special role for my life. And so this idea of holiness, it starts with God. God is set apart. God is different. His goodness is better than ours. His power is better than ours. We come together to worship all of that on Sunday morning. Not just admire it, but, but even worship it. God is that holy and that set apart. And we are trying to follow in God's footsteps and be holy, set apart ourselves. So how are we set apart? Well, God has special jobs, roles for us. While the whole world is, is doing what it's doing, God has set us apart. We should be making that real, that we are setting ourselves apart, allowing ourselves to be set apart for Him, to be different. And that brings up a challenge that you see in this passage. 
It is very difficult for us to be in the world trying to live for God and not let the world change us. That is a challenge. Because everybody's going, everybody's going a different direction. And it's so easy to just float with the current. It's so easy to forget that we're supposed to be set apart. And some people are afraid to be different. Sometimes we don't want to be different. Sometimes we think, you know, I just want to, just want to be in the background. I, just, I don't want people looking at me or thinking I'm strange or thinking I'm different or asking questions or making a big deal. I, I just, like to, just like to hide in the background. As Christians, sometimes we, can't, we just can't do that. Christians, sometimes we're going to have to be the people who allow our lights to shine where people see that God's really living in us. Not in a rude way, not in a look at me way, but in a way that's trying to really genuinely live for Christ. And that's going to be different if we're really living the way Christ wants us to live. So the challenge of holiness is one that doesn't always appeal to us. But we're trying to let light shine in us. That's what it's all about. God's setting us apart for a special role, a special job of shining His light in the world and not letting the world change us. He's got two, two thoughts then, I think, maybe more than that, but I've, I've noticed two here in this passage this week that I want to point out. Two ways we need to be trying to show this set-apartness in our life. And the first one is relationships. If I'm going to be holy for God, if I'm going to be different... If I'm not going to live just the way everybody else lives in the world, I need to watch my relationships. We are social people. We naturally pick up on things of people around us. You've got to be careful because some of those things are good, some of those things are not good. You notice that relationship idea in verses 14 and 15. He says, don't be bound together with unbelievers. You may have heard, your Bible may have a little footnote there, that phrase, bound together literally means unequally yoked. And your translation may actually say unequally yoked. And it's a farming image. The yoke is the, the thing that holds two oxen together, that bar that goes across the tops of their necks, so that as two oxen are pulling through the field, it helps keep them together as they're pulling the wagon or the plow or whatever in the same direction. And so if you're unequally yoked, it implies that one side's pulling further than the other one. You're not going straight anymore because one of those oxen is pulling to the side. We don't need to be in relationships that pull us away from the direction we should be going for Christ. That's difficult. We often tell this to our young people and you guys that are teens. I hope y'all do take that seriously because your friendships really do affect your future. In fact, I've heard people say it that way. Say things like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. We really do, really do make choices, especially at your time of life where you're choosing life paths, and it really is easier if you're around people that make you better. But that's not just true for teenagers. I've seen adults, and you have too, that have been around friends that aren't the right types of friends, even as adults, that pull them in directions away from God, whether it's coworkers, whether it's family, whether it's people they've just met along the way. All of us need to be careful about our relationships. That doesn't mean you don't have friendships with unbelievers. That's not what he's saying here. It's that you're not allowing yourself to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I don't need to allow this relationship to make me worse. I'm supposed to be making the world better. How could I allow a relationship to make me worse? I've got to be careful about my friendships. So he says as he goes on, What partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? 
What fellowship has light with darkness? There's got to be a difference there. We have to be different. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, that false god? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? We want to have friendships. We don't want to allow ourselves to be pulled away. You know, it's sad and scary that oftentimes Satan comes to us as a friend or through a friend. In fact, later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, Satan doesn't always come to us and say, hey, look, this is bad, you should do it. Satan's much sneakier than that, uh, much more evil than that. He'll often come in a way that tries to make it look like an angel of light, try to make this look right and say, hey, you need to, you need to do this. This is the right way. Don't listen to what God has said. It's what he told Eve. Did God say you can't eat from the fruit? God's trying to hold you back. He's just, he don't want you to know that you're going to be like him if you eat the fruit. Satan tries to come as a friend. You remember what Jesus said to Peter, Matthew 16. Jesus starts telling the apostles, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. Peter says, no, no, Lord, that's not part of the plan. You're the Messiah. You're not going to be killed. Remember what Jesus told him? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Satan was speaking through a friend. Peter was a friend. Peter was someone close. And so many times Satan will try to come pull us away from God, pull us off the path we could be on, through a friend. I've got to have my eyes open to that. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, I should have put it on the screen, but I didn't. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Let's not be fooled by that. If we're going to allow ourselves to be too close to sin, it's going to have some sort of impact. I need to to make sure I'm not allowing that to happen. The second thing I see here is very broad, We'll try to make it a little bit more specific as we go through it, but we must be willing to distance ourselves from worldliness. You see that in verses 16 through 18. So we've got to be careful in our relationships. We've got to make sure we're not allowing worldliness to become part of who we are. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? People at Corinth, they knew temples. If you're in the Roman world, you knew temples. They were everywhere. Every Greek god had temples. Most big cities had all of them. So you'd walk through cities like Corinth, you'd walk through cities like Rome, and there were temples everywhere to all the different gods. They felt like you could just worship all of them. They didn't feel like you had to pick one or the other. Christianity was very different. Christianity was teaching there is one God. He's the only one that is real. He's the only one that should be worshipped. And all these are false gods. And so Christianity stood out in that way. They knew temples. Paul says, we are the temple of the living God. All those other temples, those are not living real gods. But we, Christians, God living in us, we are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. Now, several times in the Old Testament, you remember they had built a literal temple of God in Jerusalem. And so there was one temple, and you went to it in Jerusalem several times a year for the special feasts and the special sacrifices. Several times things had gotten so bad that people had begun to put sacrifices and altars to other gods right there in God's temple. And some of the kings, some of the great revivals in the Old Testament are when people finally got enough courage to say, this altar doesn't belong here. This is not to the real God. We should not be having these these images and these idols of all these other gods right here in the temple of God. And I can say for myself, when you read that, you think, how'd you get to that point? 
How'd you get to the point that you let other God's stuff be there in God's temple? But yet Paul is telling us, sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we as the temple of God, God living in us, we let all this other junk come to live in us too. All this worldliness. Our world is in love with money, for example. We're not careful, we're just going to float with the current and fall in love with it ourselves. Our world is in love, seems like to me, with anger and mistreating people. We've got to be real careful that doesn't become part of what we're letting sit there in the temple of God. Our world is in love with sin. Our world is in love with glorifying itself. Our world is in love with excuses of reasons to live the way it wants to live. All this stuff and all this junk, if we're not careful, we let it pile up in us, the temple of God, supposed to be, and we're doing the same thing that they did in the Old Testament. How could you do that? How could you let all these false gods and all this evil stuff be right there in God's temple? You've got to be careful not to let worldliness become part of who we are. The world's going that direction. And we've got to be consciously saying, these are ways I'm not wanting to go. I'm not wanting to live like everybody else. So that's what he's saying. Come out and be separate. Don't touch what is unclean. I will welcome you. I'll be a father to you. God is promising a special closeness to his people if we'll have the courage to come out and be different from the world. And then chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved... Let's cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we've seen the big point. This is a passage about Christian holiness, about being set apart for God. We've seen the two smaller points. We've got to be careful about our relationships. We're going to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If I'm, if I'm allowing a relationship to pull me away from God, I need to be thinking about that again. And I need to make sure I'm not letting worldliness become part of me. I'm the temple of the living God as a Christian. Don't let that junk get in my life. Let's end with a few questions that we need to be asking ourselves and trying to make this real. Because chapter 7, verse 1, let me back up to it again. He says, all right, we have these promises. God says, I'll be a father to you. I'm promising a special closeness. Okay, now let's do it. Now let's do it. A few questions to ask ourselves. Number one, are the people I'm with making me better spiritually? People I'm spending time with, is it bringing me closer to God or is it pulling me farther away? Because I've really only got two choices. You know, sometimes when our people become Christians, when we see some of our adults especially become Christians, and I, I say that, not just our adults, our teens too, sometimes one of the first things they have to do is say, I need to change my friends. Because this group that I've been with is not making me better. This group that I've been with is making me worse. And that path leads away from God. And that path leads toward eternity away from God. And so there has to be this conscious realization, if I'm going to live for God, I need to change some things. It's not easy. It's not easy to distance yourself from people who are trying to be your friends. But if I'm thinking big picture, if I'm thinking what's most important, if I'm thinking where I'm really wanting to go in life and in faith and in eternity... And yeah, I need to do that. I need to get around people. I need to be around Christians. I need to be around people who want to live the right way. I want to be around people who are trying to not float with the current, who are trying to live holy lives. That makes me stronger, makes me want to be better. You can either change the relationship or recommit yourself to saying, I'm not going to let this relationship pull me away. They're not living right, but I'm, I'm not going to get pulled away. Either, whichever our choice is, we don't need to let the people around us pull us away from God. And sometimes that means some tough choices.
about who we're going to spend our time with. Number two, I had to ask myself, what am I watching? We are addicted to entertainment in our culture. Maybe people always have been, but we've sure got enough options to where we can make that a reality uh, in America 2018. And there's a lot of stuff that Christians don't need to be watching. And we know that. But sometimes we just sort of float with the current, just like everybody else. And here's some of the problems with that. When I'm watching all these things that, that have nothing to do with God, in fact, many of them are, are, in, are trying to push things that are very anti-faith uh, and things that God would not be happy with, I'm putting that stuff in my heart. I'm putting that stuff in my mind. And I'm letting all those things that the world is, is doing and, and showing and saying, I'm letting that affect me not being set apart for God. And I'm also being a bad influence. I'm also letting other people see me look at things I shouldn't be looking at. And so now they're more encouraged to look at all these things and let them become part of their hearts and their lives. If I want to be holy and set apart, I need to ask myself, what am I watching and should I be? And I've added a question to this one. Uh, would I watch this if Jesus were here? Now, that's a good question for everything we do. If Jesus were sitting next to me, would I be watching this on TV? If Jesus were sitting next to me, would I be watching this on the movies? Would I have this pulled up on my phone or my computer if Jesus were right here? Because by the way, he is. God is, God is still on the throne. God is still watching. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, Proverbs chapter 2 says in other places. What am I watching? I always seem to ask myself, how am I talking? Am I talking in a way that's set apart for God, or am I talking like everybody else? Again, we're talking about being different. Am I willing to be different? Am I willing to be more like Christ? We're an angry culture. It's uh, as angry a political climate, especially, we'll start right there, as maybe, maybe people have ever seen, at least in our generation. People are saying a lot of ugly stuff. We don't need to be caught up in that. Christians, we're supposed to be Christians first, right? I don't need to be the one that's saying things that are, that are hurtful and evil and angry and bitter. There's ways to talk in a Christ-like way, I hope, even about tough issues. How am I talking? How do I talk with my words? Do I use curse words? Do I tell jokes Christ wouldn't be proud of? And let's add that second question to this one too. Would I talk this way? Would I say this? Would I act in this way, the way I'm speaking, if Jesus were here? Sometimes that's a good check on us. If I'm really trying to be set apart for God, would Jesus, would I be ashamed of this? If I looked over and saw Jesus right there looking at me while I was having this conversation, I need to watch how I'm talking. Then the fourth one I've got, what do I need to remove? What's some of the junk, the, the sin, the bad thoughts, the sinful ideas? What's some of the stuff I've allowed to hang around in my mind or my heart or my life? That if I'm going to be serious about holiness, if I'm going to be serious about getting closer to God and getting the world out of my life, what do I need to take out? Is it stuff I'm watching? Is it a friendship? Is it a sin? Is it a thought pattern? I need to be working on that and be praying about that. God, I want to be holy for you. I want to be different for you. Please help me get this out. I want to be the temple of the living God. Help me to get all this junk out of the way. Let's just... 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says it. Let's be willing to cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Let's be willing to be different. I've always marveled, ever since I guess I was a kid, hearing about Daniel chapter 3 in Bible classes, I've always marveled at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most of us know the story. 
of how Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, they're away from home, and he builds this giant statue. And he says, when I play the music, everyone will bow down to this statue. You will bow down and worship this statue. And when the music plays, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who serve the real living God, they don't bow down. They realize, I'm trying to please God. I'm not trying to please Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not trying to just save my life even. And Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. He says, guys, I hear you're not bowing down to my image. I'll give you one more chance. Apparently, they were going to have their own personal time to bow down. I'll give you one more chance. We're going to play the music again, and you can bow down. Um, And if you're not, I'm going to throw you in that fiery furnace over there. And no God can save you from that, he says. They don't even wait for the second chance. They say, King, we don't need to answer you any further in this. We're not going to bow down. God could save us if he wants to. I don't know if he will, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your idol. I'm amazed at that type of bravery. Because so often, we bow down with the world on things that are so much smaller. Things that matter so much less. And we just go along with what everybody else does. Those guys were willing to stand up when everyone else bowed down. I hope we as Christians, I hope we don't lose that. It's part of our faith. It's part of our heritage of faith, of people serving God. Let's not lose that commitment to say, I will stand even if no one else does. Even if I'm the only one standing to to try to be set apart for God, I'm going to do that because it's the right thing to do. So what that tells me, if I'm going to be holy, one of my first motivations I've got to make sure and hurdles I've got to get over in my life I need to make sure I'm not ashamed of that. I need to find the spiritual courage, find the spiritual strength to say, I'm not ashamed to be different. I'm not ashamed to watch different things than everybody else. I'm not ashamed to talk differently from everybody else. I'm not ashamed to do things differently. I'm trying to follow Jesus Christ. My prayer this morning is that you and I will become the temples of the living God in a very real way by getting sent out and becoming set apart holy people for God. We're about to sing a song, and during this song, if anyone here would like prayers, we would love to pray for you. We believe in prayer. James 5, 16 promises that God hears the prayer of a righteous man. I hope that you hope that there's righteous people in here, not because of ourselves, but because God has washed our sins away. And we would love to all pray for you if there's anything you'd like us to pray about. Sometimes we have people that come into our services that aren't sure how to become a Christian. They asked the same question that they asked in Acts chapter 2, 37. What do I do? What do I do? When I know that Jesus died on the cross for me, when I believe He's God, what do I do? We preach the same thing that they taught in the Bible, Acts 2, 38. Peter answers, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe today you believe in Jesus, you're ready, ready to repent, to have your sins washed away in baptism. We'd love to help you with that. If you can... Let us help you in any way. You're invited to come to the front now while we stand, while we sing. Oh, man.